Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. The Bible can be described in many ways. The Bible is inspiring, it's encouraging, it's instructing, and it's very interesting. If you can, please turn in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 22 for John's message about one interesting portion of Scripture entitled, The Ships That Never Sailed. In 1 Kings chapter number 22, we're reading about a king whose name was Jehoshaphat. And he was a good man. He was a godly king. And he was the ruler over Judah in southern Israel. The capital of this kingdom was Jerusalem. And so beginning in verse number 41, I want us just to read a little bit about Jehoshaphat. It said, Jehoshaphat, chapter 22, verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Now, look back in verse number 40. It says, Ahab rested with his fathers, or he died. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. And so, as we get into this story today, we're going to find that Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, Ahaziah was the king of Israel, the northern part of the country. Jehoshaphat was a good king, godly. Ahaziah was a bad king, and he was ungodly. Now, it says in verse 42, Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so, as I said, this was a good and a godly king. But notice the next word in verse 43. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Now, what are the high places? They were elevated places in Israel, usually on the top of a hill or a mountain, and the people would go there and worship pagan gods. They would make their offerings, they would offer up their sacrifice, and God hated this. And God had instructed His kings, remove the high places. But even though Jehoshaphat was a good and godly king, he did not remove the high places, and so many in his kingdom were still worshiping pagan false gods. And so we see here a chink in the armor. This good king is not perfect, and he's, he's got some real weaknesses. Verse 44, also Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now, at this time, the king of Israel is Ahaziah. Verse 45, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. The perverted persons is a reference to people who were actually practicing prostitution as part of their worship. It was pagan worship. He did wipe that out. So he gets a thumbs up there. Verse 48, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geber. 
And so there came a time in Jehoshaphat's life where he wanted to make some ships to go to this place called Ophir, and Ophir was known for the gold that it had, and Jehoshaphat thought, if we can go there, we can get the money, we can have the gold, and I'll have a better and a stronger kingdom. But we read here that the ships never sailed. And when I read this, I thought, now that's interesting. Ships were made to sail. Ships were made to go places. Ships were made to be a blessing to other people, and yet these ships never sailed. Here's the question. Why didn't these ships sail? What happened? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us here. It just says the ships never sailed. And I want to show you that. Now turn to 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. Because in 2 Chronicles 20, we're reading a rehashing of this king, Jehoshaphat's life. And in chapter number 20 and verse number 31, let's just read a little bit of this. It's going to sound very familiar, what we just read. It says, so Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. Now, we just read that, same thing. Verse 32, and he walked in the way of his father Asa, did not turn aside from doing it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. And so, so far, it's the exact same thing we read in 1 Kings. But look in verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah. So he formed an alliance with an ungodly king. Now, before we get any farther in this, I want you to just get this in your mind, and we'll see it again as we go through. Jehoshaphat was good, godly. He, we would say he was a saved man. Ahaziah, bad, ungodly, and unsaved man. And the two of them form an alliance with each other. Why? So they could go to Ophir and make money. So they could discover gold. And so that through this alliance, they could enrich themselves and they could enrich their kingdoms. Again, verse 36, he allied himself uh, to make ships. Let's go back to verse 35. And this Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships at Ezion-Geber. Now, in 1 Kings, we read that the ships were wrecked in Ezion-Geber. Here we read that the ships were made in Ezion-Geber. Think about this. Ezion-Geber was the port And yet the ships got wrecked before they ever left the port. And that's why the Bible says these ships never sailed. But we still don't have the answer to the question. Why why were they wrecked? How could a ship be wrecked when the ship is still in the port? Who's ever heard of something like this before? Well, look in verse 37. But Eleazar, the son of Dodavah of Marashah, now some of these names are tough. People, you just got to read through the names and get to the meat of it. It says, prophesied against Jehoshaphat saying, because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, now watch this, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. Why did the ships get wrecked? Because God destroyed them. God wrecked the ships before they ever left the port. Why did God do that? Two reasons. Reason number one, Jehoshaphat had entered into an ungodly, unholy, unsanctioned alliance 
with Ahaziah. You know, in the New Testament, we read, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We're familiar with that passage. Many times we read that and we think, well, that's just talking about marriage. Well, it is talking about marriage, but it's not just talking about marriage. The teaching of Scripture is you have to be very careful, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in friendship, whether it's in business, who you form an alliance with. Now, that's not saying that we can only do business with other Christians. No, it's not saying that. But the Bible does teach that we should not form alliances in in-depth alliances with people who are not believers. And that's what Jehoshaphat did with Ahaziah. And so for the, for the result of that, God destroyed the ships. And not only for that reason, they were pursuing gold. You see, they should have been, Jehoshaphat should have been pursuing God. But instead of pursuing God, he was pursuing the gold. He was pursuing the money. You know, there's something about money that captivates the human mind. And people just think, and we've all thought this, I've thought this before, if I could just have more money, more, better, bigger, newer, then I would be okay. And money has a way of captivating us. That's why Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. You can serve God or you can serve money, but you can't serve them both. And Jehoshaphat had entered into an unsanctioned, unbiblical alliance partnership with this ungodly king for the sole purpose of making money, and God didn't like it, and it rubbed God the wrong way, and it was an offense to God, and God said, you built the ships, but they'll never get out of the harbor. I'm wrecking them probably through a strong wind. I'm destroying these ships that you have made. Money was at the root. What is the Bible? The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil, but it does say this, the love of money is the root of all evil. I was reading last week something that Warren Buffett had said. I like to follow him, obviously a very successful businessman. I try to keep up with him and learn from him. Over 20 years ago in 1999, when his net worth was a mere $30 billion, he was being interviewed about money. And one of the things I like about Warren Buffett, now he's not a Christian. The last time I heard him speak at anything, he said he was asked about his faith. And he said, I don't know whether there's a God or not. So he's an agnostic. He says, I don't know. And he said this. He said, I guess when I die, I'll find out. Well, when he said that, it, it concerned me and it pierced my heart. And uh, so I would not let him give me spiritual advice. But he was asked about money and he made a statement that was so good. Here's what he said. He said, money makes very little difference after you reach a moderate amount. In other words, whether he had 30 billion, 100 billion, 1 billion, 50 million, 1 million, 100,000, 50,000, 10,000. Listen, as long as a person has a place to live, can pay their bills, has something to drive, can afford their insurance, and has enough money to buy something, food to eat, and uh, clothes to wear, the fact is, if you have enough money to comfortably do those things, if you had 50 times the amount of money you have right now, you would still be doing the same things. It's just that everything would be bigger and newer, and it would taste a little bit better, probably. But it's still the same stuff. You're still eating something, 
driving something, and sleeping somewhere in some house. And that's what Buffett said. And he went on to say, if I could exchange a large percentage of my money, just give it in, in an exchange, and in return, if I could receive more years on my life and the health that I would need to do the things in life that I enjoy doing, I would gladly give that money away. In fact, he's got so much money, he's only leaving his family 1% of all of his money. They're only going to get $1 billion. You think they can make it on $1 billion? He's giving 99% of his money away because he said his family doesn't need that much money. And so he's very philanthropic and he gives his money away. But the point I'm making here, Jehoshaphat got it in his mind. He's a godly king. And I'm saying if it can happen to him, it can sure happen to us. If I could just get some gold, if I could just increase the bank account, if I could just have more, if I could just have bigger, if I could just have better, if I could just have newer, then I would be better off. Even if I have to form an alliance with a king who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't honor God, but if through this alliance I can make the money, Jehoshaphat said, show me the money. I'm partnering with Ahaziah, and I'm building ships, and we're going to Ophir, and we're going to increase our wealth. And God looked down and said, build your ships. Form your alliance. Shake your hand. Sign your contract. The ships that you are building will never leave the port. I'll destroy them in Ezion Geber. Now, as I have, again, I read that months ago. And I said, I got to get to this sermon, man. I got to preach about the ships that never sailed. Now, I want us to stay with that ship analogy today. And I want you to let ships, a ship, represent your life. And I'm going to use my mind while I'm up here talking. I'm going to play along with you. I'm going to let a ship represent my life. Now, what did I say about ships? They were made to sail. They were made to go places. And not only that, they were made to be a blessing. We should understand that here on the ship channel. I mean, we've got ships coming in and out of the ship channel, in and out of the port of Houston all day long, all night long, every day. What are these ships doing in there? They're bringing produce. They're bringing oil. They're bringing gas. They're taking oil out. They're taking gas out. They're bringing in plastics. They're taking out plastic, bringing in cargo, taking out cargo. Why are they doing this? Because somebody needs plastic. Somebody needs oil. Somebody needs fuel. Somebody needs food. And so the whole idea of a ship is we can take what we have in our country and bring it to you and we'll make money off you, and you'll get our product. And here in Houston, we say, well, we've got the, the oil and the gas, and so what we'll do, we'll put our product on a ship, and we'll send it to China, or we'll send it to Japan, or we'll send it somewhere. You can have our product. We'll make money off of you. See, ships are designed to be a blessing to others. So I want you to view your life today as a ship. And I want to say three things to each and every one. This is a very simple sermon, but I want to give you three pieces of advice as God gives me for my life three commandments, and it really they're commandments for all of our lives, but I'm just saying today advice since it's coming from me. First step of advice, before you leave port, make sure you have the captain on board, Jesus Christ. You make sure you have the captain on board. There's a song that I don't hear it as much, but maybe ten, eight or 10 years ago, I used to hear this song on the radio, and I really liked it. it had, there was a line in this song And here's what it says, I don't want to go somewhere 
if I know that you're not there. And every time I hear that song, I think about my life. I say, God, that's how I feel. I don't want to go anywhere in my life. I don't want to do anything in my life if you're not going to be with me in that project or on that venture. And so I'm saying to you today, make sure that the captain is on board. I'm saying, make sure you're saved. Number two, make sure that you're pursuing the right thing in life. You see, they were pursuing, Jehoshaphat should have been pursuing God and so had the other king, but the other king didn't even know God. Jehoshaphat knew better and he should have been pursuing God in prayer. Did you know the Bible never commands us to pursue the things that we want? If you made a list, it'd be interesting, like if everybody today could just make the list, what are the top three things you want in your life? And we're going to compile that list. And next week I was going to stand up here and read, okay, we've compiled it, and here are the top 25 things that people in this service wanted in their lives. You would have a better job, bigger house, a spouse, more money. You know, you just, all, these are the things we want in life. Do you know what God says? If you, if, whatever it is you want in life, do you know how to get it? Don't pursue it. Pursue God instead. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And yet, we, what do we do? We spend our lives pursuing the things and either never getting them or if we do get them, it's like the scripture says, we, ha- we make all this money, but we've got holes in our pockets. A lot of people work hard and make a lot of money and they got no money in the bank account. Why? Either... There could be a lot of reasons for that. Either they don't manage what they have wisely, or maybe God says, you're not honoring me and your money, and I'm not going to honor you and your money. You're going to have a purse. You're going to have holes in your pocket. Your purse is going to have a, the bottom's going to be falling. You're going to work and make money. You're not going to have anything because you're pursuing money. God says, if you want a better job, if you want more money, if you need more money, if you're single and you want to be married, God says, don't pursue any of that. Pursue me. Put it in my hands. Seek me with all of your heart. And if it's my will for you to have one of those things, I'll give it to you. And if it's not my will, you don't need it anyway. So don't pursue the stuff. Pursue the Lord. What was Jehoshaphat doing? He was pursuing the gold when he should have been pursuing God. Now, when I say pursuing God, what does this mean? It means that you have a hunger in your heart to know God. Now, I want to show you some verses. Turn to the right a few pages to the Psalms, the book of Psalms, Psalm 63, one of my favorite Psalms. And I want to just show you the first verse. David wrote this Psalm, Psalm 63. Turn, turn there and find it if you can. Psalm 63 and verse 1. Here's what David said. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Could you say that at this time in your life? Could you say, you know what? God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. When you wake up in the morning, I'm not saying that it has to be the first thing you do, but sometime pretty quickly after you wake up, do you seek God? I mean, is that something that you do? Well, David did. Now turn a few more pages to the right to the book of Jeremiah. And I could just reference these verses or, you know, kind of quote them or something. But I want you to mark this in your Bible. Jeremiah 29, I think most of us are familiar with verse 11, where God said, I know the thoughts that I have toward you and so on, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We like that verse. Great verse, great promise. But look in verse 13. This is not as familiar of a verse to us. Psalm, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. God is speaking. 
And God says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. In other words, if you are a seeker of God and you pursue God to know God and to have a relationship with God, God is going to honor that search and you will find him and you will find the deepest needs of your soul met and you will be satisfied with peace and happiness and joy in your life. And so I encourage you not only to pursue God, but to pursue God's word to pursue the Word of God, to spend time in the Word of God. You know, the Bible is an interesting, inspiring, encouraging, and convicting book. The Bible says of itself that it is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I encourage you to spend time every day in the Word of God just reading the Bible. Well, last night before I went to bed, I read Romans chapter 8 out of three different Bibles just for my own edification. And so when I read a chapter in the Bible, and that's a familiar chapter, I underline what I consider to be the key verses of the chapter. Then I read the whole chapter. So Romans 8 has 39 verses. And so when I got finished reading it, I don't know, I had probably underlined 10 or 12 of those 39 verses, and I consider those to be the key verses. And so I go back and I read through whatever I underlined. And then I try to narrow it down to just one verse. And say, that's going to be my verse out of Romans 8. And yesterday, one of the verses that really spoke to me was verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. But here's the part I focused on. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So when I closed Romans 8 last night, there are a lot of great verses. But you can't meditate on all 39 verses. The mind mind can only focus on one thing at a time. And so I thought, okay, for me... Here's my, it wasn't even a verse, it was a phrase. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. God, help me to be spiritually minded. I'm encouraging you to pursue not only uh, God, but one of the ways you pursue God is by getting in His Word and letting these words get in you. And then I encourage you to pursue the will of God. The will of God. You say, John, what's the most important part of God's will for my life? I'll tell you that. The most important part of God's will is that you would be like Jesus Christ. That you and I would be like Jesus. Every situation that we go through in life is an opportunity to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned Romans 8. Last night I read it. Verse 28, we all know it. And we all believe it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But here's how we interpret that. We lose a job. And we say, all things work together for good. God's going to give me a better job. Well, more than likely he is. But that's not the good being talked about in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Something bad happens in life. And we say, well, all things work together for good. God's going to fix this all up. And the problem's going to be fixed. And the disease is going to be healed. Everything's going to just be perfect. Well, many times that is the case. But that's not the good being talked about here. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Read verse 29. It says, those God foreknew, that is God knew you before you were born. He also predestined. Say, John, do you believe in predestination? Sure, I believe in predestination. It's in the Bible. He predestined. By the way, in the Bible, predestination is always talking about those of us who are saved. That we have been predestined. To be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. All things work together for good. What does that mean, John? It means that through these experiences we go through in life, God uses them to make us more like Jesus. 
That's the good. That's the ultimate good. And that is the lasting good. So I, I encourage you to pursue that. That is God's will for your life. And then as we think about these ships, they never sailed. God destroyed them. They never left the port because of that unholy alliance and because they were pursuing the wrong thing. And I'm saying to you today, we better make sure the captain's on board. We better make sure we're pursuing God, not gold. And I'll tell you something else. We better make sure before we set sail that we have the right shipmates on board. And the best way to make sure that you have the right shipmates on board is to get plugged into a strong Bible-believing church in your area where you can grow in your faith and develop solid relationships with other believers. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org under the broadcast tab. Look for The Ships That Never Sailed. We invite you to keep up with us on social media. Simply search for Peace by Believing Ministries. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.